Hey everyone, thanks for joining us today. We're so excited to have you. There's evidence of life change all around us here at Waters Church, from baptisms to small groups, to Waters kids making Jesus the hero and leader of their lives. If you'd like to be a part of the life change that happens here week after week, you can. Just go to waterschurch.org give and select the giving option that works best for you. Thanks again for joining and we hope you enjoy today's message. church early, being excited to be in the house of God, sitting up front, loving Jesus with our actions and our schedules and our time, and I would like to say that today I saw a lot more people who were here early. You did a good job, and I really do want this, where we just look forward to coming into the house of God every single week. I would love that. Lines out the door trying to get in here because we know something happens here that's special. God is going to So, at the movies, movies at church, what's up with that? Why are we doing that? That's kind of strange. Uh, movies are kind of modern-day parables. If you think about it, Jesus used parables to speak truth into people's lives. He'd pull out spiritual truths and speak them into people. So that's kind of what we're going to do, hopefully, over the series, but definitely what we're going to do here tonight. If you have notes, we're going to look at our three subjects, which are love, justice, freedom, three spiritual truths that are in the movie Braveheart. And we're going to look at, ooh, Braveheart. 
and we're going to look at what, uh, what the movie says about these subjects. We're going to talk a little bit about what we as people, we as the world, we as individuals think about those subjects. And then we're going to look at what God has to say about those subjects. And I'll let you decide who's right. Um, but stories are very powerful. A very pow- oh, pre-warning, if there are any young kids even over 10 in the audience. We are watching Braveheart today. So if you haven't seen Braveheart, we're not watching it. You're not going to be here two hours and 57 minutes, but we're going to look at a couple clips from Braveheart. Now, we did cut out a lot of the blood and violence, but it's still a violent movie. So what you'll see are PG clips, but fair warning, a couple people did complain that they were a little rough last night, but that's why we have Children's Church. So just saying. So, movies, stories, stories are very powerful. We've used them over the years to entertain us. I love movies, really. I think it's the pinnacle of uh, entertainment. I'm not a big music person, but uh, movies take music, they take actors speaking emotions, they play sound effects, all that combined with the lights and the cinema to give us that ultimate experience of storytelling where we can immerse into. So movies can be very powerful. And like I said, we don't necessarily learn from them, but they kind of reflect what we as individuals, we as society have, uh, have in common or have to say. So quick side note, I was driving home a couple weeks ago after we decided to do this at the movie series, and my ears were perking up every time something was said about a movie, wondering if we can use that. And I am a boring person. I don't really care for music outside of Waters Church worship, woohoo. But um, when I drive and I have a 50-minute commute, I usually uh, put on sports talk radio or NPR. Again, very boring person. But so I was driving home last week, listening to, or two weeks ago, listening to NPR, and the story came on about this lady who's a counselor, and what she does is rescues people, rescues kids from foster homes that are in abusive situations. So she had this one little girl in her office, and she gave her a big box of comics. I love comics. I grew up with comics. Comics are another great tool of storytelling pictures, everything but sound, basically, is what they have to tell a story. But so she gave this box of comics to this little girl, and the little girl started to make two piles out of the comics as she went through them. One big pile, one small pile. And she went over, and she noticed that the small pile were all Wonder Woman comics, which she thought was kind of cool, unique, but also she wondered why. So she asked the little girl, why Wonder Woman? Why not you know, all these other comics, even though you know, not all of them were superheroes, but why Wonder Woman? And the little girl looked up to her and said, because she rescues people. I was like, oh, yes, I know. But that's why I liked comics, because superheroes rescue people. That's oftentimes why we watch movies, because we like to see that. And uh, superheroes essentially rescue people. So just another form of strong storytelling. You know, we're going to look at Braveheart tonight. I believe Braveheart was a superhero in his own right, superhero of the Middle Ages. And looking back all the way to Christ, I think Jesus Christ is the ultimate superhero when you break it all down. But, you know, just a little shout out for Jesus. So what we're going to do again tonight is we're going to look at a few clips, we're going to pull out the spiritual truths, and we're going to see what is said about them. So William Wallace, if you haven't seen the movie, 
I'll break it down a little bit. He was born in 1272 AD. He was the second of three sons. And back then, normally, the first son was kind of, uh, he would inherit the title of the family, and he would uh, carry on the name and the honor of the family. In Scotland at that time, the second son was normally designated to the church. Pretty cool, Church of Scotland. So William Wallace was actually designated by his parents to the church. That's where he got his education. He actually learned and spoke Latin, Greek, Gaelic, French, and German. He used Latin to speak to the church, which was very involved in the uh, rebellion against England. Uh, he used Gaelic to speak to the high... Gaelic? We have Gaelic speakers here? Okay. He, he used Gaelic to speak to the Highlanders, you know, which was really cool. He could rally the troops. And he used other three languages, German and... Um, what German and French, basically for diplomatic missions that he would use later to try to bring peace into uh, Scotland. So really cool that his parents wanted him to go to the church, but God kind of had other plans for him and used all those talents that uh, he was brought up with. So again, we're going to look at a few clips. So let's play the first one now and look at what, uh, what Braveheart has to say about love. Saudi vocem meam, fiant aures tue intendentes in vocem deprecationes me. Good evening, sir. I was wondering if I might have a word with your daughter. What do you want to have a word with her about? Murren, would you like to come and ride with me on this fine evening? And this? You're out to your mind. Oh, it's good Scottish weather, madam. We'll see you later. Oh, the weather's just fine. It's hardly raining. Did you not hear what I said? Murren! Murren! I'll all change when my sons arrive. So you've got children? Well, not yet, but I was hoping that you could help me with that. So you want me to marry you then? Well, it's a bit sudden, but all right. Is that what you call a proposal? I love you. Always have. I want to marry you. So that looks like the perfect 
biblical version of what love is, right? Marriage, man, woman, they meet as, you know, a young kid and reunite later on and live happily ever after. Kind of like a fairy tale. Well, actually, if you know Braveheart, it's more like a Grimm's fairy tale than Disney fairy tale, the way it ends. But uniquely, they also, just to give you a little heads up in the story, they married in night at night because the English king, the evil English king that was invading Scotland made a decree. He wanted to switch all the landowners in England and Scotland and have them switch all the lords. So he'd take the English lords, put them in Scotland, take the Scottish lords, put them in England in order to entice the right kind of English lords to go over to Scotland. He made a decree that any English lord could bed on the night of the wedding any Scottish woman that he wanted. So Braveheart, being the clever person that he was, married in night, therefore the English lord didn't have the opportunity to um, steal the chastity away from his wife, to bed his wife. So there's that. But so again, what's, uh, what's that movie say about love? Basically, again, you think that it might be a biblical version of love, but I take that more as a fairy tale. It's more of a fairy tale. So that's a, your first fill in the blank is the movie says that love is a fairy tale. But what's the world say? What do we say as people? How do we view love? It really depends on, on you as a person. I, I think that love comes off more as a feeling, right? It's I feel almost like like. Like, do you love pizza? Do you love to go skydiving? Do you love your boyfriend or your girlfriend? And what makes you love them? It's usually, it starts off how that makes you feel, how good that pizza tastes, or that adrenaline from skydiving, or how attractive that person is. So I think we as people, I know I do, I usually assess love with a feeling, but let's look and see what God says. Uh, I'm gonna read out of 1 Corinthians. We're going to see what God says about love. 1 Corinthians 13 says, If I could speak all languages of earth and of angels and didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains, but I didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I had to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It's not irritable and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about unjust, but it rejoices when the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never fails. Love is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. And then line 13 says, three things will last forever. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. So what's that telling us? Well, to be patient, to be kind, to not be jealous, those are things that I have to work at I don't know about you, but I have to intentionally be patient with people. I have to intentionally be kind often. It doesn't come easy. I think God's telling us, and Jesus even says, there is no greater love than for a man to lay down his life for somebody else, for a friend. That's an act. 
I propose that God is telling us that love more than a feeling, because feelings change. Your feelings are different than mine. And feelings change throughout relationships. I know every relationship I've been in, every girl that's ever broken up with me has usually used the line, well, I don't really like you, which is another universe, uh, you know, for love, as much as you like me. So it's never equal, right? It's about feelings. But the good news is God always will love us no matter how we feel about him. So let's uh, look at the next clip. I believe this clip is a much more biblical telling of what true love is. As Lord of these lands, I will bless this marriage by taking the bride into my bed on the first night of her union. Oh, by God, you will not! It is my noble right. kissing in church. I told you we were going to watch Braveheart. I did warn you. No, but what was that right there? She was willing to sacrifice herself for her husband so that he didn't die because he's willing to die for her right there. You could tell, but she was willing to sacrifice herself. That was an act. So I propose to you that God tells us your third fill in the blank, that love, God says, is an act, not a feeling. Not a feeling that we can't define that changes from person to person, but an act. You can see love. You know love when you see it. All right, so we're going to move on to justice from there. And we do have a couple more clips, so thank you for coming. But, um, all right, so the catalyst for William Wallace wasn't necessarily his wife. In reality with William Wallace, uh, if he was married is never mentioned in the history. In fact, uh, it was the killing, the death of his father and his brother. Uh, there was a time when young William Wallace, he was 21 and he was fishing and he caught about 10 fish and six English soldiers came up to him and demanded his fish. And he tried to compromise with them and he said, I'll give you half. I've been here all day. This is all I have to eat. I'll give you half. And they said, no, we want all the fish. So he ended up killing two of the guys and wounding four of them. And that actually made William Wallace an outlaw as in the eyes of England uh, in his own land in Scotland. But what we're going to look at here is what the movie talks about with justice. 
assault on the king's soldiers is the same as an assault on the king himself. did edit all the blood out, so yes, it is church. No, but what do we see there? Uh, the English Lord feels like his justice is being impinged because he didn't get to bed the wife of William Wallace. William Wallace feels the injustice towards the English Lord, so what do they both do? They both seek revenge. One kills the other, the other, you know, one kills one's wife, the other kills the other. It's revenge. It's an eye for an eye. We all know Jesus said, turn the other cheek, but the flesh of us, our instincts are to lash out. So your next fill in the blank as far as what the movie says justice is, justice is revenge as far as Braveheart. But what do we as people think as far as justice? How do we determine what justice really is? Uh, your next fill in the blank would be perceptive. It changes from person to person depending on where you're born, your moral code, and even your religion. Uh, I haven't always been Christian. I've only been Christian for about five years. I grew up studying philosophy and Hinduism and Buddhism, searching for the truth. And it was only until God revealed it to me that I accepted Christ as the truth. But my justice might be different from your justice, and your justice might be different from my justice. It all depends on how you feel and your perspective. So much like love, justice can be a personal thing if we're just to look at ourselves. But let's look at what God has to say about justice. I'm going to read out of Romans 12. It says, bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. And don't think that you know it all. Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. And doing this, you will keep burning coals of shame on their heads. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. So, not an eye for an eye. Now, I know, I was driving here this morning. I have about a 50-minute commute, which I think I mentioned. I was going about 80. Please pray for me. But as I was driving in the fast lane, a car in the slow lane went flying by me so much that my car shook. 
And he must have been going like 120, 130, I swear. He was going so fast. But my first instinct was to swear at him. My second instinct was to hope that he gets pulled over by a cop and I get to see him down there and laugh at him as I go by. And then God reminded me, practice what you preach. Pray for him. I pray that he's safe and he doesn't kill anybody else. So I instantly pray for him, you know. But my first instinct was to go the opposite way, was to attack, was to lash out, an eye for an eye. How dare he pass me? But so what is, what is God saying about justice? Your last fill in the blank under justice? God says that justice is his. It's God's. Small little illustration. Picture God as a good judge, you as the defendant. Jesus as the good lawyer. We're all guilty of something. If you ever read the Bible or ever heard, we're all guilty of something under God's law. So if you were to sit in front of a good judge and he was to judge you righteously, he'd find each and every one of us, including me, guilty. The good news is if you're a Christian, if you're in Christ, God looks at you and judges you for your good deeds and not your bad. If you're not a Christian, God will judge your good deeds and your bad, and your good deeds can never outweigh the bad. You can never make up enough. The good news is Jesus Christ is your defense lawyer. He's standing right there, and even though God might find you guilty, Jesus can walk up. He does. He walks up to each and every one of us and offers to pay your fine. He literally writes out a check and hands it to you so you can hand it to God. The thing is... Not everybody will receive that free check. Not everybody will receive the payment for their fine. It's free. It's for anybody. But you have to receive it. If it's pride, whatever it is, sometimes we just have to let that go and receive that free check. All right, so we'll move on to Braveheart. Let's see what we, he has to say about freedom. All right, so this is one of my favorite clips of all time. If you haven't seen Braveheart, still, I'd be ashamed if you've never seen this clip. Sons of Scotland, I am William Wallace, and I see a whole army of my countrymen here in defiance of tyranny. You've come to fight as free men. Free men you are. What will you do without freedom? Will you fight? No! We will run! And we will live! Aye. Fight and you may die. Run and you'll live. At least a while. And dying in your beds many years from now, would you be willing to train? All the days from this day to that, for one chance, just one chance, to come back here and tell our enemies that they may take our lives, but they'll never take our freedom! Freedom! I had to do it once, and it still gives me chills. I love that scene. I think my favorite line there, and it's something, you know, it's a rhetorical question, but it's something we can all think about, especially you, if you are in Christ and you have freedom in Christ, you have freedom, what are you going to do with it? Mel Gibson's words, not mine, but it's something to think about. All right, so what the movie says about freedom is basically it's worth dying for, it's worth fighting for. So yes, that fill in the blank, it's worth dying for, says the movie. 
But what's the world say about freedom? Like love, like justice, I believe it's individual. So that's the fill in the blank, it's individual. Your idea of freedom might be different from my idea of freedom. You know, if we look at the world today, uh, you see Fox and CNN battling it out. You see people protesting other people. And I'm not saying one side's right or wrong, but I'm saying there's two sides. One thinks, they both think they're right. Both sides believe that they're right. So what is right? Oh, before I, before I read the description, we'll see what God says. I, I found this clip last week. It was actually on the news. I'll play it. It's only eight seconds. It's from a Facebook Live. You're not going to be able to really understand it. It's hard to see, but afterwards we'll discuss it. I think it's hilarious. So please play the uh, Facebook Live clip. Oh my goodness. Freedom! So what was that? You saw the name Michael Reed, so all of you can go home and look at his Facebook. I just noticed that. Sorry to drop his name. That was Ten Commandments on public property that offended Michael Reed. So what did he do? He drove his car into those Ten Commandments yelling freedom, ironically, and then the next day he got arrested because he posted it on Facebook Live. So his freedom was taken away because he posted it. But I just found that perfect, hilarious. And I just want to point out his freedom is different from my freedom because he's impinging on my freedom. So the idea for personal freedom is individual. What's God say about freedom? Let's read out of John 8.31. Jesus said to the people who believed in him, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. But we are descendants of Abraham, they said, much like modern-day Americans. We have never been slaves to anyone. What do you mean you will set us free? Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. A slave is not a permanent member of the family, but a son. A son is set apart of the family forever. So if the son sets you free, you are free indeed. So what's God saying freedom is? Your last phone in the blank, God is saying freedom is only found in Christ. It's not what we feel, it's not necessarily what we think. We may be right, we may be wrong, but it's found in Christ. And we are all a slave to something. Some it's kids, some it's marriage, some it's your job. We're all a slave to, some, slave to something, but only Christ can set us free. All right, so one more clip, and then we'll wrap it up. Warning, this one is a little brutal. of treason.
right now. Just say it. Cry out. Mercy. <laughs> Wishes to say a word. So that can be a little tough to watch, but it's actually a tamed down version of what happened in reality. Uh, what Wallace experienced was a five-stage punishment reserved for the worst of traitors. He was hanged, drawn, quartered, a five-stage punishment. Then his intestines were cut open, he was castrated, and chopped into pieces. Finally, he was beheaded. Before the execution, Wallace was stripped naked and pulled around town by horse and carriage and then dipped in tar. But his death is also a familiar story. Wallace was actually betrayed by those that were closest to him, his own countrymen. He was taken at night. He was brought to a public mock trial where they put a false, a mock crown of flowers on his head as the king of Scotland. Uh, the king actually denied Wallace's request when he asked for his last rites. But as a good Catholic that he was, he asked for his last rites. And the Archbishop of Canterbury actually ignored the king, wrote up, and administered last rites to Wallace. Then Wallace, who grew up in the church, asked for a Bible. They gave him one. And instead of yelling freedom as his last words, he was seen reading the Bible as they pulled his entrails out reading the Psalms with his lips moving. So most likely his last words spoken to God were of God. I think that's fitting. And eventually, since he was martyred, his death led 30 years later to the freedom of Scotland from the ty tyrannical rule of England. But I also believe that Wallace's death points back to about 1,200 years to a man who was also mocked, a man that was also betrayed, captured at night, falsely accused, and wore a false, well, a, th uh, a throne of, uh, a crown of thorns on his head. But the death of Jesus and the freedom that he has won for all of us, me, you, and Wallace, is something that we can hope for. We can actually have true love. We can have freedom, and we can have justice in Christ. Any one of us, if you've never accepted that free gift that Jesus has to offer, can do that. You can accept. None of us are promised tomorrow, I hate to say. None of us. We all think we live forever, but nobody knows. Yeah. 